This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. You know, true crime has never been more popular. We're talking books and podcasts and internet boards, all of that stuff. One of the reasons why is that it's because of the internet. Those places like message boards, places where people can gather and actually get involved in investigating the mysteries that they have read about in the past. We've seen it, right, in high-profile cases uh, like the Golden State Killer case. In fact, when it comes to that particular case, you may have read the best-selling book by by Michelle McNamara. It's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. It is a great book. I highly recommend it. And one of the people who worked with Michelle McNamara is author and journalist Billy Jensen. He has made following true crime stories his life's work. And how he got into it is really interesting as well. He's written about this whole thing in his new bestseller. It's called Chase Darkness With Me, How One True Crime Writer Started Solving Murders. We recently had a chance to chat with Billy Jensen about this. Well, Billy, thanks so much for joining us to talk about your book. Uh, First of all, when did you become fascinated with true crime? Because I know a lot of people are these days, but you have a very personal story. Yeah, no, it started when I was five years old. And uh, it was my very first memory of the first thing I ever said. There was a a guy running around New York, uh, which is where I lived, killing people with a 44 caliber handgun, and we called him the 44 caliber killer. And I remember my dad coming home and showing me the newspaper that he was caught. And it was a picture of David Berkowitz, and it said, we have him. And I just remember looking at his picture and in the vernacular of the day, because this was 1977, this is Happy Days and Sedona Potsy, mm-hmm. I said, he looks like a turkey. And that's the worst first words I remember saying. So, um, you know, I didn't go straight into, okay, let's solve a bunch of murders after that, but that was the seed that was planted. But it clearly was something that you shared with your dad from the stories that you tell there about you often, like, you know, followed the news with your dad, and your dad often had advice for you when he was following these cases. He did, yeah. And it was constantly, it wasn't necessarily about the forensics of it. It was more just about how to learn from his mistakes and how to learn from other people's mistakes and not get into, into trouble and uh, not be around people that are going to get into trouble. So uh, any time that he would come across something and saw a, a life lesson that could be learned, uh, he would show me the story and say, read this or look at this, and this is why this happened, and this is why you can't do these things, because you you know, you could either get thrown in jail or get killed. Right. But it's one thing to like follow along, which a lot of us do, right? I do. I follow all these true crime stories. I'm fascinated by them too. But it's another thing to actually start actively trying to solve them. How did you get involved in that? Well, you know, as a journalist, I was always, I only wrote about unsolved murders and then, uh, and missing persons. And I was always trying to get some answers from that. I really, you know, yeah, I would have loved to have solved each one of them, but I couldn't. And it's, you know, when you're writing those stories, that's the only stories that you're writing within that genre. Uh, you're writing stories with no endings. And I, you know, just sort of had an aha moment, which takes place kind of in the first third of the book, where I'm just like, wait a minute, I think I can come up with some ideas on how to solve these myself. You know, not solve it, you know, it's, they're not necessarily the crimes that you that you hear about on television all the time, but they're ones where the police, you know, put put some video out there, put a sketch out there. It was maybe in the news for a couple of days, and that was it. Four or five months later, I'm going to take a look at it again and say, you know what, I might be able to use social media in order to help this. Right, and you clearly discovered that there's a whole community of people out there who do want to do this. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
there's a lot of people. And there's, also, there's also a lot of people that, that just have a, a particular set of knowledge that you can go to. I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of video that comes across uh, my email box that is um, maybe a car fleeing the scene of a murder, and they're trying to identify the car, and the police don't know what the car is. And I can just put it into Reddit, into a Reddit subgroup about cars, uh, and then they'll give me the, what the car is and the make and model and oftentimes the year within five minutes. It's pretty incredible. So, uh, you know, utilizing the crowd, you know, they're, listen, they weren't sitting there thinking that they wanted to solve any murder or anything like that, but yeah. they just have this particular set of skills where they know that, wow, I know the angle of that bumper and the angle of that, you know, taillight, mm-hmm. and I know that that is a certain type of car. Why do you think this fascinates us so much? Like, why do we love the crime shows and the crime stories and the crime books? I think it's, you know, you're putting some order out of some chaos. And I think that any time that, that, um, that that's something that, that the world is a scary place. So any time that we can you know, see something that shouldn't be there and then see it eradicated and fixed and everything back to normal, there's a natural need or, or want to, to, to actually pay attention to that. I actually equated it, and it's kind of strange, but I equated it to us watching those blackhead popping videos. Uh, you know, there's something there that shouldn't be there. And then you, yeah, exactly. Then you squeeze it, but you can't look away because you're like, oh, that's gross. And that's the bad parts of it. And then it's all done. And then you're, then, you know, it'll be, it'll heal. And um, it's sort of, it's not that far off uh, from that. It's, uh, it's something that's, that's horrible sort of at its core. But really what you're trying to do is, is fix something that's, that shouldn't have happened. What do you think is the most rewarding case that you've ever worked on? I would say probably the Marcus Gaines case because it was the first one. And, you know, I was working so close with the family and, uh, you know, to be able to, you know, have it be, it wasn't actually a national story. It was run nationally because the video was so compelling of a guy getting attacked in the street and to have, uh, you know, the police throw up their hands after five months and then me be able to identify the guy and then tell them where he is. And then finally, after six months of IDing him, they go and get him. Uh, and being able to tell the family this is this is this is who did it, this is who attacked your your loved one. Right. That that was rewarding, and then also you know. But then there's this sort of you get this high when you're thinking, all right, I think this is the guy. But then you just drop back down when you realize that uh, you know the person is still is still gone. You yeah. know, and that was one thing that I wasn't I wasn't expecting, but it happened. Let's talk about your involvement in possibly one of the biggest cases of all, and that is with the Golden State Killer, because you were working on I'll Be Gone in the Dark with Michelle McNamara, and obviously with her death, that kind of thrust you into talking about the case. And then it turns out the police say they've got him. What was that process like? Yeah. Well, Michelle, I wasn't working on it with her. Michelle was uh, was writing the book, and I was friends with Michelle. And when Michelle passed, I I... I talked to her husband. I said, I'll do anything I can to finish this book and help finish this book. So myself and her researcher, Paul Haynes, we finished it and, uh, and then got it out there. Then two months after the book came out, uh, they, had, they had caught him. Yeah. So uh, it's been uh, a whirlwind since then uh, of, you know, being able to seeing the power of familial DNA and using that to catch criminals. Has that given you a lot more kind of competition, so to speak, now as well, where people go, look at how popular this is. I could do this. I can get involved. <laughs> now, listen, there's 220,000 unsolved murders in America, at least. I know we're in Canada right now, but um, since 1980, I'll take all the competition I can take. <laughs> and why is it that you think uh, people like you can succeed where police necessarily cannot? 
it's just a matter of education and a little bit of resources, too. Um, the police, they, they don't understand social media the same way that, that I might, you know, or understand marketing and social media marketing. It's a different beast, and they're just not used to it. Uh, when they do, you know, every, every one of their uh, departments, for a bigger department, should have a social media investigations person, not just a social media sort of like PIO that's just pushing out information. And they have to geotarget advertising. They have to do all of these things. It does cost money, but it gets results. And, you know, that's what we're going to see. Same thing with the familial DNA stuff. We're going to see forensic genealogists in larger police departments. We, we have to because we know that this stuff works. It's all the future of policing. Do you think people who do what you do, um, you know, and I, and I know this is from Michelle, lots of people were asking, like, did her work contribute to the catching of the Golden State Killer? Is there enough recognition for this? You know, as far as her work goes, it definitely did because it put more resources behind it. Uh, it was really her dying that, that made him kind of a household name internationally. Nobody really knew who this guy was, and she also renamed him, too, because he was Eron's before his East Area Rapist original Night Stalker. So, uh, you know, I don't really care so much about the credit other than the fact that it shows people that it actually works, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, to be able to say, hey, police departments, this works, you should try it yourself and see what happens. And um, so in that respect, the credit is good. But after that, you know, after getting the credit for a couple of them and, and showing that it does work, mm. they can take all the credit in the world as long as they get justice. What are you working on right now? Well, right now I'm working on a uh, updated chapter for the paperback, actually, uh, of Chase Darkness with me because it... Um, you know, we've gotten one update of the Bearbrook uh, murders where we've identified three of the four females in the, in the barrel. So working on that and then uh, working on some active serial killer cases on top of, like, sort of the other investigations that I'm just constantly doing. So, And also we've got a uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark docuseries on HBO that's going to come out in spring or summer of next year. Right, so so it doesn't seem to be any shortage. Do you think, uh, Billy, are there particular cases do you think that capture the public's imagination? Like, what do you think a case has to have for it to to do that, for people to go, oh, I can't, I got to hear more about this? Yeah, I mean, I wish there were, I wish it was it was a level, more level playing yeah. field, and you see this on, on television. I mean, that's one of the great things about podcasts is that you can tell stories a lot. Television, they're only going to do it if you if you have good visuals, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the cases, you know, they want the twists and turns, they want multiple suspects, you know, anything that you would see in a, in a classic, you know, true crime novel or, or classic novel of, of crime or mystery, um, you know, with all these kind of, you know, crazy twists and red herrings that you see in Agatha Christie. But, uh, you know, for me, I don't always, you know, navigate towards those, you know, I'm not going to navigate towards anybody that needs help. All right. Listen, Billy, thank you so much for joining us today. All right. Thank you so much. It's Billy Jensen. His book is called Chase Darkness With Me, How One True Crime Writer Started Solving Murders. And it's really interesting because so many of us kind of go down that slippery slope of wanting to know more about this mystery or that mystery.